welcome to Wrestling and Everything, Coast to Coast, with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire and Dr. Mike Leno, wrestling's premier photographer. Dr. Mike, would you like to introduce our guest for tonight? I'm bringing back a, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine from the 90s. that We reconnected only recently, thanks to Joe Dombrowski, the announcer for Major League Wrestling and so many other projects. He helped our brother Les Thatcher with the... Uh, Brian Pillman, uh, Brian Hildebrand things, but uh, Max Payne, who you know from WCW, obviously uh, Japan and Man Mountain Rock and WWF, but he's wrestling's very first and best guitar slash pro wrestler, amateur, Iowan, Iowa wrestler, uh, great, beloved, uh, decorated amateur uh, in Iowa, MMA legend for Takata's UWF1, all Japan. Uh, we can talk about an hour about him with his pal Benoit, Chris Benoit, or Dr. Death Steve Williams. But it's a pleasure to bring him on uh, the show, this great athlete. And he's got a number of projects, including his YouTube channel we're going to talk about tonight, Russ. All right. And um, I'm pleased to have you on the show. Thank you for, for coming on. I, I've been, I was a fan of yours back in the day. Uh, 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 you know, and, and, and it was... Which of your uh, wrestling personas did you prefer the most um, when you were in the you ring? Know, so I have to be honest with you. The one that I continually was stripped of the most, that was Max Payne. Everybody, every promotion that I worked in, funny in the end, um, would they, 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 they always wanted me to do something different than Max Payne. And Max was, the, was my original concept from the very beginning. That's what I wanted to do and wanted to be. Um, and so it, that's one of the funny, funniest parts of the whole Max Payne character is uh, the Japanese fought me on it. Um, the Germans fought me on it. Nobody wanted me to use it. They all wanted me to plug in their own gimmick. And I was a very, very strong character from the very beginning when I got into wrestling. So Max Payne is really my true alter ego, if you will. Can you explain the Max Payne concept? Yeah. So, you know, um, let me, let me really, I got, I got to go back. It started with uh, a movie by John Wayne called the green beret. And, uh, I was about, I think I was like, in fact, I looked this up. The green beret, I believe came out in 1969. I was eight years old and uh, I went to see that movie and, you know, there wasn't very many people in the theater. It's funny. I just drove by my theater. And, uh, I've seen it, actually. You what? I've seen it. Yeah. We've seen it. Oh, Peterson, right? My name was Peterson. So the guy that was the, the, the baby face that dies in the movie, his name was Peterson. So in the little kid at the end of the movie crying and John Wayne hugging him, he's going and you know so i i love that movie i'm on my way home you know my mom she's i see sitting there and she i look over at her and i go um does john wayne go to the bathroom and she goes why would you ask that and i said i, I just and she goes and she proceeds to explain to me Look, he's a man. He pulls his pants on, you know, every day, just like you. His real name is Marion Michael Morrison. He, he's from Winterset, Iowa. And she proceeds to tell me the whole truth about the guy, right? 
So about two weeks went by, and I remember this like it was yesterday. I went up to my mom and I said, because I hate the name Daryl. I especially didn't like my middle name. Named after a, a freaking uncle that was really a jerk to me in the end of his life. But um, <laughs> that's the namesake I got from it. Um, but I hated that name. So I went to my mother and I said, hey, I hey, don't like Daryl. She started crying, right? Who wouldn't, right? I worked hard to name you, Daryl. What would you choose your name to be? And I said, I don't know. But when I figure it out, I'll tell you. So exit the, or enter the wrestling career, enter all of me doing all that. You're, you're wondering right now, where in the hell are you going with this, Mac? I did the whole Max Payne character. And the first job I had when I left the wrestling business was a voiceover talent for a video game named Rogue Trip. And Rogue Trip was the follow-up to a game called Twisted Metal. And in one of the Duke Nukem uh, video games, I am actually the voice. Uh, I will post that on my, eventually that will be on my YouTube channel. But I'm the voice of a guy named Hatchet Jack that they, they cut into the Duke Nukem game with the commercial for Rogue Trip. And I'm the guy that's going, Hey, you guys, go check this out, right? So I, I got to be that voice. And consequently, I, I there's a lot I can and can't say, but I ended up in a lawsuit because these guys took my name and created a video game with it. Most people, Which people I, don't know. I was watching by accident. So then how did that lead to your Max Payne character in the ring? Huh? How did that lead to your Max Payne character in the ring? So I'm on deposition at the Max Payne lawsuit, and they're asking me, so, you know, let's come up with the name. And right that moment, I started thinking about the John Wayne movie, right? John Wayne, Max Payne. Mm. Look how close that is subconsciously. I didn't even realize how deep that name was in me when I invented it until I was sitting in that deposition when they stole my name. And I, I went, oh my God, wow. And I realized uh, when I first started out with Max, it was originally gonna be Lucifer Payne because I loved the idea of a t-shirt that said, I love Lucy on it. Yeah. And then, and then Max Headroom got really popular right at that moment. And I would, I had been on a show called Bob Euchre's Wacky World of Sports uh, as Lucifer Payne wrestling Haji the Wonderclaw. And um, I realized I didn't like Lucifer. Uh, you know, I didn't, that, that was too heavy. I was a statement I, I wasn't trying to accomplish. I wasn't trying to be that. I was just trying to be Alice Cooper. And so I chose, I saw, and I loved Max Headroom. And there was sort of this amalgamation moment where, you know, Lucifer, I just done the Lucifer thing and I didn't like it. And, uh, you know, it all just kind of went and I was watching Max Headroom and I went, oh my God, that's it. Max Payne. And Max then the Headroom. Pardon me? I'm saying Max Headroom was a, a one-season show. I watched every episode on ABC, whatever year that was, 84. Right, but, right, but, 
something like that. Do you remember where? Do you remember where it really started, though, Mike? Here's some trivia hey, for you. Yeah, really Coke commercials. I thought it was a Coke commercial. Yeah, the Coke. Right, exactly. It was very <laughs> unique. Yeah. And uh, missed the the actor who played that because he went on and did some other things. You know, without the. Okay. Uh, you talk about uh, everything that goes on with artificial intelligence right now. And Max right. Idram was the embodiment was of AI That's back then. That's really why I chose that character, because I was so excited. You know, he was such an exciting, innovative thing, exciting, innovative thing. I, I really loved what he brought to the table. So that really struck me. So at first it was Max, period, pain. And then a, a good friend of mine from, from a wrestling territory um, said, hey, why don't you put two X's on it? And I went, aha. And then... Then that stuck, and that was it. Nice. That was in Memphis. The lady that said that to me said uh, it was a it was a a friend from you know just a road friend, and it was it was an amazing moment. That's a really great origin story, Mike. What would you like to ask? I wanted to say because he's got at least one, maybe two or more axes behind him. Now I don't think Max, you've ever stopped making music. You may have stopped wrestling, maybe temporarily or whatever. And, right. and the act and all the other things you do, because he is an actor as well. And I don't want to forget that uh, when you uh, went to Europe, you were working for Otto Vons, right? Correct. Yeah, I worked for uh, actually for three seasons. When I quit the business, I just left and walked out of the business. I should have. Uh, I should have known. Were you better. there when Rip Rogers, Rip Rogers was like calling me from Europe with results and shit like that. So I don't know if you were there at the same time, but there's another great guy. If you don't speak to him, I'm going to put you in touch with him. But show us some of your uh, guitars behind you, if you can. Well, I, just, uh, I, I only have, I only have two up now. This is the, this is red. So this is actually the bass um, that we were talking about. So this is this is the bass that I just fixed. And I don't really have that many other. I only have one other guitar, and it's not looking very good right now. So this is the bass that I named Bastine. Um, and it is amazing. And I've never stopped playing. I've really never stopped playing music. I, I that that's what gets me through from day to day. And the honest part of it is, is um, that I'm going to focus a lot more on that as I as I continue to move on. But yeah, I I music is um, the voice in my head that drives my heels because because. Um, that's how I write the soundtrack for the movies I'm going to make. Interestingly enough, the movie that's going to come out eventually, Thing 27, um, I wrote the soundtrack for the motion picture before I actually recorded the motion picture. I didn't realize quite what I was doing it for, but now looking back, it, it makes complete sense. So I, music is just such a, an integral part of who I am that the more that I do, the more that's going to be there. So uh, basically, the three things that I love in life are uh, music, cars, and uh, movies. That's the things I want to spend the rest of my life making. Oh, wrestling isn't isn't number four? Uh, I, I, I wrestling, wrestling's a double-edged sword for me. It's a very difficult sword because, you know, I'm not, those guys sitting here in incredible wealth that you know I, i'm kind of in a little bit of a different ball game than everybody else i had some pretty heavy things going on that 
prevented me from being one of the guys who got to make a lot of the money. And uh, I, I'm not bitter. I'm not a bitter at all. I just, I've spent my whole life perfecting and doing the things, not continuing in wrestling saved my life. Because had I con- continued down the road, um, I'm no different than than any of the others. Uh, you, you said one earlier is Brian Pillman. You know, these guys, I, I, I was in that same boat, doing the same shit, doing the same drugs, pounding the same road, dealing with all the garbage that went with it, plus all the other things that were happening at the time in my life that was a failure that you haven't seen yet. It's going to be exciting because there's a lot of things the world doesn't know about me. In fact, one of the most amazing things you don't know about, I'm just give you a preview, is how the rock star legend Steve Miller cost me my wrestling career. Really? Most people don't, yeah, don't, don't spit that out because he's. I'm got, not going to. Darn, I, I want to know. I want to know how, how that happened. No, I can't tell you yet. That's coming. He's well, got that's a fascinating. One thing I want to say, of course, we're, ta- we're interviewing uh, Max Payne, Man Mountain Rock. Wrestler, guitarist, actor, uh, brilliant at everything he does. Uh, I, I was re-watching, uh, the, there's two, two texts, that song and Falling Down, but that song, it's not heavy metal. It's anybody could listen to it. You know, even if you're a little lady, you wouldn't complain that it's a great song. Uh, and that's the first, one of the first images I see is Red Bastine, who I'd known for decades and decades and decades. I worked under him as Cauliflower Alley Club when he was the president there. And uh, he and Thez had put me on the board. But um, tell us about your relationship with Red Bastine, who was not just a wrestler, but one of those geniuses. He'd started at the at carnival shows, you know, with really the, you know, the guys like Thez did that stuff and Carl Gotch and et cetera. But Red was like a man. A well, let's, not forget, let's not forget his first class. His first class was Sting, Ultimate Warrior, um, uh, Stronger Steve DeSalvo, Angel of Death, uh, and there's a, there's one other big one in there. It was Sting, and who else it was in? That was Brett's. First there were two class. other guys. There were two other guys with Helwig and Sting. They kind of yes. left the business, but I didn't know he had his hands on Steve DeSalvo uh, and uh, uh, Steve Strong, who then went up to Stu Hart in Calgary. If I'm not mistaken, he was in that first class with those guys. I, I could be wrong. Angel of Death was Dave Sheldon, and Dave Sheldon yeah, was a terrific was guy it. who lived in Texas. Uh, most fans only saw him in the U.S., not in Stampede, but in the U.S. on you know, the Dallas uh, show when Spritz and uh, Jerry Jarrett were out of it and it was global and he did very well on that. He was a real sweet Red guy. Red was involved in GLOW somehow too. I think through Pepper Gomez, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, so uh, yeah, I, uh, sorry, I forgot where I was at. I get, I get going. Well, how, did you meet, how did you meet Red? Because Red's oh, Red, son yeah. Red. So, uh, this is one of my favorite stories, actually. Really crazy. So there's a there's a lot of complexion. I'm not going to fill in right now. It, 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 you, Mike, you know this too because you bet you obviously have gone to my site, which I got to say is an honor. Thank you for you to listen to that song. I, that song is actually the first song that I ever wrote. Um, and I went to when I when I graduated. So 
let me just be clear about something. This is part of the story of, of Max Payne that also needs more telling and books and things like that are coming. So um, I was fortunate enough at 16 years old to be in a motion picture, a major motion picture. And I had a, I had a leading role and it's not like, it's not like star Wars, but at the time it was a big motion picture. It's called takedown. You can go look for it. It's on, it's on Google. Uh, it's, it is actually the first amateur wrestling movie for, for the movies that followed like uh, vision quest and anything else to do with wrestling was inspired because of takedown because takedown was wrestling's version of Rocky at the time. That's what the guy who wrote the movie wanted to do. And I was lucky enough to, to land a major role in that motion picture. And it took 10 weeks out of my life and changed my life forever. In fact, this is why I'm on television right now with you on the internet, because this is the voice in my head that's been dragging my heels since I was in takedown. So I got in this movie uh, first of all, let me just quickly summarize. The movie cost me my high school wrestling career. I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old, got married, had a child by the end of 1978, and the motion picture debuted, and I was a junior in high school. By the time I was a senior in high school, I already had made a decision I was going to go back to college, so I called Oklahoma State, who had already started trying to recruit me. I got a, I got a gig at North Idaho Junior College, was a three-time All-American amateur wrestler, put my way through school on amateur wrestling scholarship, and graduated with a degree in television and film. Why? Because <laughs> I wanted to go to L.A. and be an actor. That's all I ever wanted after takedown. I wanted to be in the motion picture industry, not just be an actor. I wanted to be a producer and a director because I was a kid in the movie set going, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And you're asking me, what the hell has this got to do with Red Bastine? Well, here's what happened. Graduate from school. The, dire the director of photography from takedown, his name was Reed Smoot. He's a brilliant director of photography and a, a really incredible story that I'm not even going to breeze by right now a close relationship with a distant relative and implications are I have a novel I've written about my grandfather and the director of photography and I are connected to this event it's so big it's unbelievable I'll explain all that later I'm going to keep going because I know where I'm trying to get to red bass theme so I talked to Reed Smoot. He says, look, Max, you want it. You're done with college. If you want to be in the motion picture industry, there's no choice. What do you got to do? Got to move to L.A. So guess what I did? Moved immediately to L.A. Got to L.A., looked for a job, couldn't find one. You know, I was six foot six, 400 pound kid that, you know, <laughs> I wasn't a computer salesman or a, 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 a copier salesman. I tried to get a job as a copier salesman. I couldn't even do that. And one day, man, I'd been working my butt off trying to get a job. My nephew, man, or my cousin, I live with my cousin. He wakes up early that morning. He was going to sleep in and then go look for a job. He wakes up and comes running in my room. And he says, hey, you want to go to a movie premiere? And I'm like, what? He goes, you want to go to a movie premiere? And I said, yeah, what? He goes, Pee-wee's Big Top is premiering in downtown Los Angeles, and I just won tickets. So we went boogie boarding all day, went to the Big Top, and I'm standing there. I've been looking for a job forever. I'm standing there, and there's a security guard standing next to me, and I'm looking down at the guy, right? So boom, light goes on. I said to the guy, tapped him on the shoulder, and he turned around, looked up at me. 
And I said, uh, hey, how easy it is to get a job with you guys? He got his pencil and paper out of his pocket and wrote the number down. He said, brother, you'll have a job in 30 seconds. Just call and you'll, you'll have a job. So I called him and they put me to work immediately. And the next day I had to do a boxing match uh, at the Palladium. You'll know this, Mike, at the Palladium on Sunset Strip. My very first gig, and it was a boxing match. It was the debut of, um, uh, I think it's Gonzalo, one of either Tate or one of the guys, an Olympian. It was his pro debut at the Palladium. And the card was Tate, Tillman, and Gonzalez. Why do I remember this? Well, because first of all, I mean, I'm in LA and I'm on the set strip working at the Palladium already, man. I'm like, wow, I'm in heaven, you know. Uh, okay, I'm making $5 an hour as a security guard, but I'm standing ringside at Tate Tillman and Gonzalez. And this guy comes backing up to me. And I, because I had television experience, he didn't have anybody behind me. His, his cable guy was tending cable and he was backing up. So I knew what to do. I reached out, put my hand on his back and backed him right up to me. He turned around, looked at me, said that. And I knew the guy. He just interviewed me. He was a freelance videographer <laughs> for ABC. He just interviewed me at Iowa State for the Nationals. And so I was ended up being on Wide World of Sports, my interview. But anyway, he he knew me and he goes, why are you here? You looking for a job? And I said, yeah. He goes, here's my number. Call me. So I got a job working in television and film there. And now I'm standing at the corner of the ring. And my boss, the guy that would, had placed me at the corner of the ring, walks up to me and he goes, Hey, Max, you ever thought about being a professional wrestler? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I you got to remember, I just done an interview three months earlier that said I would never be a wrestler because I was an amateur wrestler. There was a certain stigma attached to it when you're an, especially when you're an amateur wrestler, right? Because people go, I watch wrestling on TV all the time. You can't no, really you make money. You can't make money as an amateur wrestler. Well, and of course, pro wrestling was all fake, you yeah, know. Right. And I, you know, there was a stigma attached to it, but, you know, I said, yeah, I thought about it. And so all of a sudden, this guy comes over and starts talking to me. His name was Dave Knudsen. And Dave goes, dude, you don't know this, but I know you, Daryl. And I'm going, how do you know me? He goes, because I'm from Lehigh, which is literally 15 miles from my hometown, was my major rival, was one of our rivals in school. He goes, I've followed your career my whole life. And he goes, I know who you are. And I've already talked to a WWF agent is here in the building right now. And he wants to meet you. <laughs> oh, gee, let me think. Okay. So he drags me back up to, and what's amazing too is Mike knows the Palladium. The Palladium's got these like mafia dark areas, you know, like the place where the guys were getting drinks that nobody could see at the back of the club, right? There's a there's this great big dance floor and everybody's partying up here, but there was this, you know, that back place. So the, this Dave walks me over to Red Basking and introduces me to Red Basking like I'm his brother. And I have never seen Dave Knutson again in my life. He introduces me to Red Basking and the rest is history. Red immediately takes me under his belt. He put me through school for free because I was just as poor as a church mouse when I first moved to Los Angeles. He trusted me. He got me booked in Japan. 
he took care of me. He never did anything but be incredibly good to me. And, and he put me to work for the WWF, Carrie. I started, in my opinion, I'm proud of the way I started in the wrestling business. I started building a ring and carrying jackets just the way you did it back then. You know, I, I tore the ring down. I've got another great story that I can tell you about Jay Strongbow and Red. We'll save that for another day because it's pretty damn funny. They asked me to stretch a football player from San Diego. And I'll tell you that story another day. But that's how I met Red. And from that moment forward, Red Bastine never did, like I said, was just nothing but an angel to me. Let me tell you something very quickly about Red, all the decades I was with him. And Russ might enjoy some of this because Red was serious, but he also had a good partying side to him. And he was a perfect pick to be Cauliflower Alley president when Lou Thez, you know, passed. We lost Lou, who was the greatest of all time. Uh, but Red got things done. So we had, we were honoring uh, Devil Masami, Kira uh, Huda, uh, and Bull Nakano at an event. And Red's at the podium, and Pat Patterson goes behind him, and the podium was small, so you could see pretty much most of Red. Red just had on these multicolor Zubas pants, and Red standing there talking seriously. Uh, those three Japanese female legendary wrestlers from all Japan, women, uh, their mothers are there, and all this. And Pat yanks Red's Zubas down, so uh, everything is exposed in front of them, and. Red just like cracked up, you know, he didn't get all upset. Uh, well, Red was really proud of the bishop anyway. So, you know, if you knew Red at all, he used to brag about the bishop consistently. If you don't know who the bishop is, then I'm going to leave that one alone. But Red, I roomed with Red on several occasions. And uh, like I said, you know, Red, Red's that old timer that really, that's the part of the business I love. You know, Harley Race treated me the same way Red did. And um, I loved Harley. He was, he was, in fact, when I played the national anthem, there were only two people standing at the edge of the, the curtain when I, when I walked off the stage. And that was Chris Benoit and Harley Race. And Harley was, most people won't believe this. I wish he was still alive to tell you this, because he would. Because Harley would love to shake people's hands and crush their hands. He never, ever treated me that way. He always shook my hands with the office because after I played, he looked at me in the eyes, tears fucking pouring down his cheeks. And he said, oh, my God, you can really play. And I, I, I'll never forget that. I'd never met him even. And he, he gives me the office. He gives me the, the office handshake, that super light handshake. And from that moment forward, man, Harley never did. Uh, Harley tried really hard to get me a run with Vader, and they wouldn't listen to it. Let me just say, weren't you in WCW when uh, Van Hammer was, he, who could not play a guitar, to my knowledge, he, it was all phony baloney but you were the real deal so i don't know how that jived with you either if he came after or before you i can't remember i just do it before you because he was 92 he was yeah 192 that era yeah he was actually to me 
he was the voice. Yeah, another, do you want to talk about a voice in my head that drove my heels? I knew he couldn't play as soon as I watched, right? So, man, when I when I finally dug into the guitar and really worked my tell off, so you know that it was that it was obvious I knew a little something. I'm not a virtuoso. Everybody knows that, but I do have a way, and I think my musicianship will continue to tell for itself. Because the other part I'm proud of right now is I'm going, I'm going through some physical problems because of my shoulders. I don't have, I have no shoulders, and it's hard to play the guitar without shoulders. And I'm figuring it out. And so that part I'm still proud of. But Van Hammer for me was an inspiration, and he and I ended up being really good friends. Mm. We ended up on the road together in uh, England. So, yeah, Mark, I think it was his name, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a long time, but, yeah. So I, I had no with Van because, once again, if you didn't really play the guitar, then it wasn't a problem for me. Max, you know, we, you're not the first wrestler or, or, or wrestling personality we've had um, who, who's been involved in music. Um, did you, were you familiar with J.J. Uh, McGuire? I don't know if I know J.J. McGuire. Oh, he was, uh, he's the guy that did a lot of wrestling themes. We had him on the show. He just died uh, oh, last the guy, year. The guy who wrote the music for wrestling. Yes, yes. And yeah. so I, I want to know from you personally, what is for you the link between wrestling and music, especially rock music? Where Where is that connection for you? Exactly. Yeah. I'm really glad that that's my favorite question, especially right now. You know, when I was a kid, I hid a lot of who I was because I loved Alice Cooper. Mm. And I grew up in a very strict LDS community. I, I'm, I'm going to talk more about that all the time because. I'm also going to be doing another show that's a talk show. Where, where did you grow up, by the way? I grew up in Pleasant Grove, Utah, in the heart of the uh, LDS world. My and sympathies. I, my my greatest sympathies for you. You know what? I, I got to be honest with you. I have nothing but profound respect. I'm going to put it to you this way. I love the Mormons. I was born and raised a Mormon. I love so much of who they are and what they are. But like a pair of shoes that says it's your size... For some reason, the church just never fit me correctly. You know, I just I, I couldn't couldn't rectify in my own brain the things. Every time I put it on, it wear a blister on my shoe or on my foot. Um, but I love the Mormons, and I my parents were both devout Mormons, but they didn't they they were kind of what you would call Jack Mormons in the sense that they believed with all their heart were born or were buried in their temple garments. And uh, but never practiced it or preached it because my dad smoked cigarettes and drank coffee his whole life and drank beer. But that didn't make him not a great guy. And any Mormon will tell you that that's not a reason to not think somebody's a good guy because they drink or smoke. They just have covenants within the church that demand they obey those things. And I respect the hell out of that. It's it's very logical. It makes great sense. But forever, whatever reason, I I couldn't. It just didn't fit me, you know. I just, it just, like I said, a, a shoe that was the wrong size says it's supposed to fit, you know, but it didn't. But that whole mentality of where I grew up and this this whole philosophy behind Utah and Utah is a very kind and giving 
uh, place. It really is. I, I love lots of things. I, I love it. I love the mountains. I was born and raised in the mountains. Like I said, I've got history here so deep. It's you can cut it with a knife. Like I said, I have a novel based on one of the national parks of this state that my grandfather was absolutely quintessential in making sure it was saved and became part of the national park registry. Um, I alluded to that earlier with, uh, with this uh, director of photography who his grandfather happened to be the senator of the state of Utah at the time that my grandfather was trying to save Bryce Canyon. So I've written a novel surrounding all of that as well. So I have deep roots in Utah. I will never talk crap about Utah. In fact, the truth of it is for me, brothers, is had Utah not been the kind of place that I grew up in, the personality like me to grow up in, that was the voice that drove me to want to explore the world. I couldn't wait to leave. I thought the myopic nature of my home state was, you know, I just had to do everything in my power to get away from it. And now that I'm older, I can't wait to come back here. <laughs> so that just shows you the round nature of, of how life works. But I, I was trying to get more towards rock and rock music. Oh, and how rock? How does rock fit into that? So I left Utah because because I couldn't. In my opinion, how do you be Max Payne in Pleasant Grove, Utah? That was the whole reason I went there. That's the whole reason I joined that. And I the, the whole reason for me telling you the story about the Mormonism is thank you for I, I get carried away sometimes i lose where what you were asking me so that's the job of the interviewer get guys back on track thank you I, I, thank you i don't mind that because i you know uh because once again part of who i was when i was a kid i was also a dope smoker and still am and when you're a dope smoker and you grow up being a dope smoker in a place that don't smoke dope which is ironic even more is now it's legal here medically legal in the state of utah the idea of that still blows my mind so anyway, why did I, what was the connection? The connection to me was always Alice Cooper and Kiss and Bowie and T-Rex and Alex Harvey and all the great theatrical bands that I loved. Why couldn't you add a musical element to wrestling? I mean, to me, the perfect iconography is heavy metal and wrestling. And I think wrestling would agree with that. If you don't believe me, look at the Road Warriors. I mean, they brought Mad Max to the table and Mad Max was living heavy metal. Um, I wanted to be a little different kind of guy. I wanted to be, if you look at some of my real old, like when I debuted in Memphis, I was actually wearing the high cheekbone black makeup with black lipstick and, you know, I, I really wanted to do that real heavy. And I, to be honest with you, <laughs> one of my best friends just said to me, when are you just going to grow up and dye your hair black and go back to being Max Payne, who you really want to be wearing the leather? And the truth of the matter is that's coming. I have to join that guy again, because in order to finish Thing 27, my movie, I have to become him. Because the way I wrote the movie in the very beginning had Max in there talking man mountain rock through what he was going through at the time. So the movie is really, it's eventually when the movie gets seen the way I want it to be seen, 
then it will it will all make sense. Plus, like I said, I wrote the soundtrack. So how does that fit? I watched. I stood on the stage after I built a cage for WrestleMania two. My nephew and I, Scott Peterson, drove to Denver, to Arizona, and to Denver to do the cage match with Dynamite and Davey against Hammer and uh, uh, Brutus. So they were going on tour doing a cage match all over the country. And at the time, they were doing a thing called Wrestle Rock with Rick Derringer. And I'm a huge Rick Derringer fan. Rick Derringer wrote a lot of those songs for the I'm a Real American. He wrote, I know he was involved majorly in, if he didn't write that. Um, so Derringer was there. And I saw the reaction to if you could be a wrestler and a musician. You see what I'm saying? I saw for a moment, even though there was not a wrestler there playing, I saw the reaction of rock and roll with wrestling. And I thought, imagine if I could amalgamate that and be that guy. And that's and when did you start playing guitar though? Were you playing guitar as a child emulating Alice Cooper and the guys from Kiss, etc., and uh, Mick, uh, what, uh, Bolin from uh, T-Rex? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I start, so here's what happened. The guitar is an interesting story for me. So I was the last child uh, of a family of five brothers, of five boys. I was the youngest. And not only was I the youngest, I was the youngest by an oops, by a long ways. My next closest brother to me is 12 years older than me. And my oldest brother is 23 years older than me. And by the time yeah. I was born, I he had two kids, one that was five years older than me and one that was three. So I'm Uncle Daryl to a nephew that's 27 <laughs> or five years older than me. So um, I, I was really kind of raised like an, uh, an only child. Um, so... There was nobody in my household after I was four years old. So basically, I, my parents treated me, you know, uh, much different. Remind me where the, the question you had, Mike, because I'm, I'm right on the edge of it. What was your question? Oh, did you start playing guitar, though? Weren't you playing yeah, it as okay, a kid? So my brother. So my brother, unfortunately, I had the unfortunate follow-up to my brothers, who my parents had bought a piano for, a guitar for, a coronet for, and something, a clarinet, and they all sat in the corner and collected dust. So by the time I came along and said, hey, I want to play the guitar, my parents, I inherited a really crappy piece of shit my brother had from 1955. It was a harmony with a tube amplifier that didn't work and had a bad fret on it, so you mm. couldn't play it past like the fifth fret. And they wouldn't buy me a new guitar. And then they give me guitar lessons. And I wanted to learn Alice Cooper. And this guy's teaching me Little Brown Jug and Reuben Reuben. And I'm like, F this. I'm not doing this. You know, I'm, I'm not playing. But I, I always kept with it a little bit. And then I, I always played at some level. Always had a guitar around me. Always played at some level. And then I kind of put it away when I went to college. But in my second year of junior college, my true musical hero came to wrestle on the same team. I got him, I got him um, a scholarship to the college I was going to at the time. And did I lose you guys? 
Yeah, we just lost your picture. Okay, hold on. Hold I think on. your light might be a little bit low. Yeah, somebody's just trying to call me. Um, so there. sorry, you guys. I don't know how, next time, can you remind me, show me how to turn that off so nobody can call me while we're in the middle of this. So anyway, uh, I'm at college, and I keep telling this friend of mine who is a brilliant troubler. You're going to get to meet him very soon on uh, my YouTube channel. He's he's actually working on getting his drumming on there as quick as he can. And, and part of the reason I'm moving to Washington so that he and I can be together and make music for the rest of our lives here. He's, he's truly my musical soulmate. He's just a great friend. We've been friends since fourth grade. He's in a Led Zeppelin cover band right now. He's his, his hero was John Bonham. I freaking just, you know, I, I, I love this so, uh, so much. And so when I, uh, <sighs> And I forgot where I was at again because I get so excited talking guitar. about guitar. How you got guitar? Yeah, yeah, the guitar. So finally, we're one day I'm telling him, one of these days I'm gonna get a guitar. One of these days I'm gonna get a guitar. We're in we're in college. And finally he says, he looks over at me. Greatest moment of my life. He looks over at me and he goes, You need to stop talking about the guitar because you're full of shit. And you're never gonna do it. So don't even say another word about you getting a guitar. Because you're never going to do it, and you're never going to commit to playing the guitar for the rest of your life. Oh, you don't tell a national champion that. You don't. That pissed me off so bad. As soon as he went to school that day, I jumped in my truck, went to the music store, and took the stereo out of my 1959 Ford pickup. I'll show you a picture of that someday. It's There are actually pictures of it on my, on my YouTube channel that I built when I was a kid. And I took, it had a badass stereo. I mean, it really, everybody who knew me in college knew I had the coolest truck with the greatest stereo in it. And uh, I took the stereo out and I traded it for a Fender Stratocaster and a little practice amp, and the rest is history. I spent the next three years, I, I met a guy in college who taught me um, 145, which is, if you don't know that, is the foundation of all of rock and roll, 145 is. And I am going to exploit that on my YouTube channel as well. But that's why the other thing about who I was looking for when I created the main character, damn it, everything I was doing was creating a character. Somebody keeps trying to call me. They think there must be more important than what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> was to create a character for fans who are, what I, why did I always love heavy metal? I loved heavy metal because to me, it, it, it appealed to the hidden, the forgotten, those people out there in society that you may not, you know, you, you, you just you got piercings or tattoos or whatever. I was always that guy. I love, I love black leather and metal and chrome and cars and guitars and going fast and all that stuff and, you know, wrestling and crazy women. And, you know, I, I just lived that and breathed it. And it just became really obvious that rock and roll and wrestling had a lot of similarities. And it was funny. And then I would talk to rockers and they, they would like it. And then they go, God, it's really amazing how many similarities rock and wrestling have. And I said, yeah, the only difference is, is that if you guys would just like right before you get on your bus to go on the road again the next time. So then you can kind of feel what it feels like to be a wrestler and do what we do is 
stop at the door and throw your feet from out from underneath you and land on your back five times before you get on the bus. And then every day you'll know what it feels like to be a wrestler. That's the difference. You know, not that they don't work hard, not that they're not hurting, but. Max, we're, we're going to wind up, but I'm going to, before we get to plugs, of course, we've been mentioning your YouTube channel, go to YouTube and go to Max Payne. Two X's, I think, is the best way to, to yeah. get there. Max, you know, I want to keep it for like a 10 to, to 12 words max. I'm going to throw out some names before we get to plugs and end our interview. Uh, let me throw out a close friend of yours and a guy I room with at the, at the Keo Plaza Hotel in 1991. Uh, that's Chris Benoit. Give me like five to 10 words about our brother, Chris Benoit. If you can, I know it's hard to. Bad, beyond reproach, and I got a I got a word this sentence exactly right. I'm not worried about it. Needs to be stated unequivocally the right way, and that is that the ending doesn't summarize the man. Exactly. I can't condone that, but. The guy that we knew, especially you, being a, a oh, what he did wrestler. was horrible. But it yeah, it was horrible. But he was so dedicated to his craft. He was at the the dojo with uh, Keiichi Yamada, Jushin Liger, uh, as you were, and such a pros pro, you know, and and a brother of yours. We'll talk more. We could do a whole show about you talking about Ben. Well, let me throw out the name of Steve Doctor Death Williams Doc. You so Doc. Go back a really long ways. And uh, here's what I say about Doc Oklahoma City. This is my amateur. This is, I was recruited by the University of Oklahoma. And so you can imagine who the University of Oklahoma gave money to to take me out and party. Of course, it was Steve Williams, right? So Doc takes me out when I'm in Oklahoma. And that story is one of my favorites because it involves Andre Metzger and both the Schultz brothers and, you know, all the stars from the Oklahoma wrestling team at the time, guys who ended up being world champions. I, I, I was there recruited by, like I said, by the University of Oklahoma. Um, and uh, Doc is, all I can say about Doc is he was, uh, he has a, he, another guy who holds a real special place in my heart. And miss miss him as well. How about in that same uh, Boomer Sooner uh, uh, thought, uh, Jim Ross? A couple of words of Jim you Ross. You know, I, I know Jim. I I don't have uh, some serious interactions to tell you about Jim. Jim was always fair with me, I thought. Jim, I, I always got along with him. I certainly don't feel I have any issues with Jim. And I've always loved him as an announcer. I thought he, I've always thought he was an absolute pro at what he does. How about Vince? Look, <laughs> you can love Vince, you can hate Vince. In my career, it would be easy. It would be easy for me to blame Vince McMahon. But that's not he stopped my career. Vince didn't do to me what ended up happening to me. It, We'll start with a lot of it was my own fault, but I had some pretty profound forces working against me. And when you see those, when the, like, you know, Mike, you and I have talked about as we start to explore what happened and why I left the wrestling business, 
um, once you hear those, it, it'll make more sense. So let's go to somebody. Two last guys positive. Giant Shohei Baba. So Baba, I don't know. So because okay, because because I was in the competition with New Japan, and so every Saturday morning, um, Chris and I would hear the dojo filled with laughter as they watched the Baba show when Baba was like. Right, the right. Sorry, I, I yeah, I forgot about that because I'm, I'm thinking like guys when Doc and Brody and Stan Hansen switched, all good. but all Japan. Yeah. Okay, how about Inoki and Sakaguchi, son? So, um, Anoki, we called, Chris and I affectionately called Anoki the chin. Uh, <laughs> Pelican, because of other yeah. Anoki was so good to me. I don't, I, I, I can't say, I mean, and New Japan. Oh my God. Well, I would be just completely lying through my teeth if I said anything that New Japan wasn't great to me. But once again, I was my own worst enemy in New Japan because I didn't understand the way they worked. I wished I would have listened and I wished I would have, you know, I, I, I would have liked to have been more involved than I could have been. They wanted me to do that, but they kind of, there was some, once again, there were a lot of weird things going on in the background, including when Brian Adams came on board, when Chris and I were there and the way they treated him versus the way they were treating Chris and I, it's actually really an incredible story because Chris and I were living in the dojo. Brian came on, but, but anyway, Sakaguchi, um, I love Sakaguchi as well. Gooch was always good to me. Always really good to me. He blamed me for a couple of incidences that happened Again, incredible stories I will tell you about down that road, but probably what cost me my status in New Japan Pro Wrestling um, had to do with a fight I had with Samu. Oh, well, before I throw to Russ to have you talk about the plugs and end the show, I do want to say this about Takedown, uh, the guy uh, that played the English professor. Edward Herman was uh, nominated at least once, to my memory, I'm not looking this up, for an Academy Award. So he was a distinguished actor. And Lorenzo sure. Wallace, who most of us know, I was on the set once of Falcon Crest shooting. He was, of course, in that. But his mother and father, his dad was uh, Fernando Lamas, the character yep. uh, Billy Crystal mimicked. And Arlene Dahl was his mom, famous, oh. famous pinup and actress. All that well, so his mom, actually, though, his mom. His real mom was not Arlene Dahl. His no. real mom was Esther Williams. Oh, the swimmer, the swimmer actress. Yes, but Arlene Dahl, yes, Arlene Dahl actually raised him. So Lamas married, Arlene, like impregnated Williams, then the child came from Esther, and then Arlene raised him. If you guys don't know how big a star from I think her amateur swimming days, Esther Williams was huge, oh my God. huge, big, 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 big in the 40s, early 50s. She was a legend. Russ, like, throw to you. She, oh, was like, I mean, she was like Hogan, right? I mean, she was like every every household knew who Esther Williams was because it was the aqua cage, man, the big swimming aqua movies of the, of the 30s and 40s, man. 
Russ, let, let's finish. Let me have you finish up with him. We'll have to have him back, but on uh, on. Oh yeah, there's so many other things to talk about. We barely talked about your in-ring career, um, and there's so many great stories. I'm sure that come from there. Um, but if our fans wanted to know more about you and get in touch with you through social media, how would they be able to do that? So I'm I'm slowly but surely. I have been away for a long time. I've been. I have been part of, uh, I have a, my fan club and the people that are, I, that are following me, I, I call them the hidden because I, I know what it feels like to be I, I, in my own life. I felt like that many times in my life where, that I needed to stay hidden and away from everything because of everything from depression to my own feelings of insecurity and inadequacy. Um, but the way to get a hold of me is through right now, the, best way you can you can go to my youtube channel which is the pain layer um and you can type the pain layer into google it will take you there you can find me right now that's, that's the best that, I'm that's l-a-i-r not l-a-y-e-r it's l-a-i-r nope, nope. yep l-a-i-r p-a-y-n-e-l-a-i-r and if you type all one word the pain layer it comes right up on google okay so I will make, I, I promise all my fans and all the people who want to come and be my, you know, be a fan, I will continually make it easier for you. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm just now starting to crack into the things that I really love to do, and I'm going to continue to do them. Great. Well, that's wonderful. And Do you have any other social media things that you're on, like Facebook or, or Twitter? I'm on Facebook. Pain Lair, P-A-Y-N-E-L-A-I-R, and I'm also on Instagram, and I think it's The Pain Lair on Instagram. And eventually, very soon, I'm going to be on TikTok as well. Wonderful. It's great having you on. You have a million great stories, and we'd love to hear a million great more uh, stories uh, when you can come on again in the future. So love to have you as a guest again. And until then, um, have a great week, everybody. We'll, 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 well let me uh, say this to Max. Before yes. we go. Let me say this to Max. Domorigato gozaimashite and kumbate kurasai. Arigato. Good night, everyone. Good night, Max. Tomo. Thank you.